Hey, you can stay standing for a minute. Uh, I have the absolute privilege of introducing our guest speaker tonight. You better get ready. Uh, man, we, we say here around a lot, around here a lot that we don't want to build a ministry on, on the personality of one, but the voices of many. And, and it's really important for us to have uh, new faces, new perspectives, because uh, the reality is that uh, we speak a certain way, we talk a certain way, we have certain perspectives, certain uh, background and story. And so it's important for us to have new voices and people that I believe can speak to you in a fresh and new way. And our guest speaker tonight is uh, George Towers. I'm going to have him come up here in a second. He's a young adult pastor at Denver United, if you know that church. It's an amazing church. God's doing amazing things there. And, and, and I met uh, George, I met him about two years ago at a young adult pastor luncheon. And we all hung out and just really connected. I'm like, man, this guy is such a good man. He's humble. Uh, and he spoke at our Red Rocks Austin campus not too long ago. And I got to hear just a few clips of him. I'm like, man, that's the kind of voice that I want in a place like this. And I believe that he has such a powerful message. Uh, just I know the work that this man has put in, the prayer that he's put in to speak directly to you and to your hearts. And so, hey, can we give George Towers an amazing YA welcome? Give it up for him. Come on. Yes. Come on. Keep it up. Come on. Yo, Red Rocks YA, how y'all doing? So good to see you. Um, sit, sit, sit down, sit down. Um, man, like, I, I can't, it's hard to put into words um, how privileged I feel to be here with you guys on this stage. Um, about four years ago or so, when I started at Denver United to start a young adult ministry, the first place I went, like my first week, was here. Um, I sat right over there, like by myself, um, which is overwhelming. If you came by yourself tonight, like pat yourself on the back. It's like a crit, like it was just, you could feel the spirit of God in this place. And man, like I have been stalking y'all from a distance for like a long time. So uh, the, 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 the privilege to be here is amazing. Y'all's church, your pastors, uh, your community is absolutely phenomenal. Can y'all give it up for just yourselves for, if you're thankful to be a part of this community. Man, so, um, hey, I, I'm, I'm excited to be here. Uh, I know you guys just finished a series uh, that was called Follow Me, and uh, Andrew crushed it last week. If you, if you missed that, me yeah, give it up for him. Like, if you're going to clap, clap, you know, like. If you weren't here last week, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to that. But um, what, what y'all have been talking about is Jesus' invitation to follow him, to follow me, and how, how that's not just a personal thing, but out of that, we're also called to invite other people uh, to follow him as well. Uh, we're called, we're honestly commanded to do that, to share our faith with the people that God has put into our life. And he gave us some great handles last week uh, uh, to, to what that looks like in our life. I'm going to see if I can give you your four points. He said, uh, we have to take personal responsibility, right? Were y'all here last week? Is that right? Is that point number one? That, that there are some people in your life that if you don't share with them, nobody else will. And that is our personal responsibility that we have to build on personal relationships um, number three was to share your personal story and then to give an invitation. Uh, so, so good. And I kind of, the message that God put on my heart for tonight uh, kind of flows right out of that. And what I want to give to us tonight is, is more of a, uh, a perspective, like a paradigm of how uh, we share our faith with the people that God has put in our lives. You think about this as like just stapling my message to the back of yours from last week. And I really believe like if we can catch this idea tonight, it has the potential to like change everything. 
about how you see God, about how you see uh, the, the culture that you're a part of, how you see the people that God has put in your life as it relates to sharing your faith and inviting people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. I mean, like, that's a bold claim, but I really think it could change everything. So I got a question before we dive in. Are, are y'all, like, expecting to hear from God tonight? It, yeah, yeah. I am too. My words mean absolutely nothing. If God doesn't speak tonight, this is a huge waste of time and energy. Uh, but I am believing that God is going to speak tonight. So before we dive in, uh, a couple of disclaimers. Uh, my, my sermons are usually better uh, when we preach them together. Uh, and what I mean by that is, like, if I'm just standing up here by myself and just see a bunch of masks and the, no feedback, it's probably going to kind of suck. Like, it's going to be kind of bad. Uh, but, but, like, if I say something uh, that resonates in your spirit, you can say Amen. You could clap, like you could just stand up and just give me the like, you know what I mean? And I'll know we'll be on the same page. If, if I say something, you're like, that's heresy. It actually is really bad. Boo. Like you could stand up, you could throw vegetables, do whatever you got to do, but let's interact tonight. And I believe I turn the mic off. As we do, uh, God is going to meet us in this place. All right. Okay. So uh, I want to read a really large chunk of scripture to you uh, in Acts 17. Uh, if you missed your Bible reading this week, uh, we're making it up right now, okay? Don't tell anybody. It'll, it'll all count. So Acts 17, uh, starting at verse 16, and we're just going to read the whole chapter because um, it's that good. So it says this, uh, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Then they took him to the high council of the city. Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You're saying some rather strange things and we want to know what it's all about. It should be explained that all the Athenians as well, the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all of their time discussing the latest ideas. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I've noticed that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God who you, whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. And since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He, gives, he himself gives life and breath to everything and satisfies every need. Can you feel Paul preaching right now like he's getting uh, into his flow? From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries, his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now... He commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt. But others said, 
we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysus, a member of the council, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. That's good, right? Um, so, hey, the title of this message for the next 30, I don't know, 30 minutes or so, uh, is God is here. God is here. Can you say it with me? Say, God is here. You got to do the point. You gotta, I'll give you one more chance. You got to do the point like real high and then down on here. Okay, are y'all good? So let's do it one more time. God is here. Okay, cool. Uh, let's pray uh, and then we'll dive into the word together. Uh, God, thank you that you're here. Amen. Y'all don't know. I pray quick every time. Like, <laughs> uh, Okay, so before we dive in and like unpack this passage, I want to give you a little bit of context to like where we are in time and space in the scripture. So I want to back up a little bit. Um, Acts chapter number 17, it begins with Paul and Silas, and they are in this uh, town called Thessalonica. Um, And they're in Thessalonica. They go to the synagogue, uh, and scripture tells us that they use the scriptures to to prove, to reason with the people that Jesus is in fact the Messiah that they've been awaiting. Um, As they do that, the results are Mix, it's going pretty well, but there's some other Jews and leaders in the area uh, who don't like this message. They, 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 uh, uh, they get this whole mob together, uh, and they go to, to look for Paul and Silas and attack them at this guy named Jason's house. Pause. Whenever you're reading scripture uh, and you come across a normal name like Jason, it just, it wasn't like Barnabas, Apollos, Eutychus, Jason. You know what I mean? Like, if that's not funny to you, like there's something wrong with you. That makes me laugh. Shout out to all the Jasons in the room. Uh, so they, the mob tries to attack. They go to Jason's house. They can't find Paul and Silas. But the believers in the area, uh, they're like, hey, we got to sneak you out of town. So they sneak out and they go to a, a nearby city that's called Berea. And they do the exact same thing. They go to the synagogue. They reason with people using the scriptures. Um, and the people in Berea were a little bit more like open-minded. It said they searched the scriptures to see if what Paul and Silas were saying was true. Um, but this same mob from Thessalonica hears that they are now in Berea. They show up and try to cause a ruckus again. So the believers are like, hey, Paul, you are too important to this mission, to what God is doing. We got to get you out of town. So they put Paul in a boat and they put him in the uh, it, was it a rowboat? We don't know. But in my mind, Paul, I can see Paul like hitting this thing down the coast. And they say, hey, go to Athens. We'll catch up with you when you get there. Um, and, and, and you got to get out of town. So they take Paul. He goes down to Athens. And that's sort of where we pick up the story. Now, a couple of observations before we dive into this story about Paul's method uh, for sharing the gospel with people who don't know it. I, I think I, this is super important. But as far as Paul's message, he only has one message. Uh, He preaches the same thing every single time. And we get some insight into what Paul's message is in Acts chapter number 20, verse 21. He says, I have had one message for the Jews and the Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus. Paul's like, this is my one message. I, I, I say the same thing every time. We don't do series. We don't do topical sermons. There's no relationship series in February or whatever. Like, I do the same thing. I mean, we do it too. I'm not, yeah, everyone does it. It's good. He's like, I got one message. Like, I'm always going to talk about the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and putting faith in Jesus. That's his one message. But his method, his means for how he gets people to that destination is always flexible 
depending on who he's talking to and where they are in their culture and their context. So he has one message, but his, his methods are adaptable. But even within that, I want to show you where I think Paul's starting point is with when he share, of where he starts when he shares the message of Jesus with people. He always starts by establishing some sort of uh, connection, some sort of common ground, something that we both agree upon, and he uses that to point people to Jesus. So he establishes a connection, common ground, and from there he points people to Jesus. We see this in Acts 17 verse 2. It says, as Paul, as we read, as, Paul, as was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service, and for three Sabbaths in a row, he used the scriptures to reason with the people. He explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. He said, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. Um, so if you can just leave that up for a second. In this context, what was Paul's common ground that he started with uh, for the people? It's underlined, so there's no, no excuse. What did he use? Scripture. Why? <laughs> Some of y'all didn't get it. Like, I underlined it for you. In this context, his common ground, his starting point, his connection is Scripture. Why? Because the people are Jewish. Uh, he's Jewish. They would have been super familiar with the story of God, with God's covenant, with, with the prophecies of the Messiah. So he starts there as a connection point, and he uses it to point people to Jesus. The same pattern as always, and he uses the scripture to point people to Jesus. This was not Paul's idea, by the way. Uh, Paul jacked this approach from Jesus himself. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is John 5, 39. And Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scripture points to me. He's like, this whole book, this whole scripture, it's all about me. Like the whole point of it is to get you there. So that's what Paul does. He goes to the synagogue. He uses a connection and then he points people to Jesus. Do you guys see that? This is going to be super important as we move forward, okay? So now he, he goes to Athens and when he arrives, it says this in verse number 16 as we pick the story back up. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. So Paul arrives in Athens, and he sees all these idols everywhere. Um, and one of the ancient Romans said that it was easier to find a God than a man in Athens. So it was like hundreds, if not thousands of gods, and he sees them, and it says that he's like deeply troubled by what he sees. Like, this is troubling, right? Like, just the overall imagery, like puppets on poles is troubling. But notice it says he's troubled. He's not like angry. He's not judgmental. He's just like, this bothers me, like at a deep level. He sees the idols, and then it says he goes to the synagogue. He does the same thing that he's done the whole time. He goes to the synagogue. He uses the scriptures to reason with the people and to point them to Jesus. But this time, he doesn't just stay in the, in the synagogue. It says, and he went to the public square and talk to whoever happened to be there. So this time, Paul's not just in church, but he's out in the culture with people who don't speak Jesus. 
And he's just having conversations. And as he starts to talk about it, they have no idea what he's talking about. They're like, what is this babbler trying to say? Uh, Sounds like he's talking about foreign gods. The reason we know they don't understand what's happening is because they use gods plural. Like they think that Jesus and the resurrection are like two different gods. They have no idea what's going on. So they're like, hey, bro, like you're saying some strange stuff. We, we, we don't understand, but why don't you come with us up to the high council? We want to hear a little bit more about these strange ideas that you're talking about, right? So they go up to uh, what's called the Areopagus. Uh, another word for it is Mars Hill. And it's at this place where Paul uh, gives his pitch to all these people and how he explains Jesus to them. Now, remember, these are people that don't know Scripture. These are people that are not Jewish by nature, so he can't use that as a common connection. I want to show you Paul's approach as he gives his pitch for why people should follow Jesus. And we see this in verse number 22. Paul says, men of Athens, I've noticed that you're very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. Now, if you grew up in church, Uh, we can kind of get really familiar with these stories and get so familiar with them that we're unfamiliar with them. Like, and if if you didn't grow up in church, we're glad you're here. Like, this is going to be great. Um, But this is crazy (laughs) what Paul has just done. He essentially goes through a bunch of idols, and not like metaphorical idols, like snowboarding you know, or social media. We're talking about like wooden gold statues, bro. He goes through, and on the surface, what it looks like he does is he's just like, hmm. This is wild right here. On the surface, he's like, oh. This is Jesus. Let me tell you about him. Like, This raises all kind of questions for me. One is like, is is Paul allowed to do that? Is he allowed to just grab an idol amongst many idols, slap a new name tag on it, and be like, this is, can we just call this Jesus and be good? Are y'all good with that? No? Like, is that a viable mission strategy that you would support with your finances, right? Like, he just picks one and changes the name. That's what he did. Did y'all read it? And on the surface, it makes zero sense. And it makes you ask the question, like, is there, a, is there like a story behind this story that would make all of this make more sense? Um, the answer is yes. I want, I want to tell you about it. Uh, so, 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 the, so the story goes all the way back to 600 B.C. And in 600 B.C., there was this great plague that hit the city of Athens, and they believed that it was sort of like retribution or payback from the gods because this community had dealt very poorly uh, with the followers of Cylon. Sounds like a Star Wars episode. But, but essentially what they did was they promised this group of people protection, but they lied, they were deceitful, and they killed all of them. It was a bloody mess. So because of that, the people believed that this plague that they were experiencing uh, was sort of payback from the gods. Now, what do you do, though, in a culture where you've got hundreds, if not thousands, of idols, and one of them is upset with you? Like, what do you do? Uh, You sacrifice to all of them, right? So that's what they did. They sacrificed to all of these different idols, but yet the plague persisted. It did not lift, 
And they're like, we got to do something about this. So they find this oracle in the city, and she says, well, there must be um, some sort of unknown God, a God that we don't know about, uh, who is great enough and good enough to do something about this situation. They ask her, well, what's that guy's name? And she's like, if I knew his name, he wouldn't be unknown. Like, I don't know his name. That's what I'm telling you. So, so they, they go and get this dude uh, named Epimenides. Come on, say Epimenides. Epimenides. Baby name that's still available and probably will be for a while if you're looking for it, if you need it in the future. Uh, so they go get Epi. Epi lives in Crete, which is a while away, a while away. So they get him. He comes back to Athens. And when he sees everything, he's like, this is wild. But he agrees. He said, there, 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 there must be some unknown God who's great enough and good enough to do something about this situation. And they say, well, how can we call on a God if we don't know what that God's name is? And Epimenides says, any God that's great enough to do something about this plague and good enough to desire to intervene on our behalf will probably overlook our ignorance if we don't get his name right. And they're like, okay, cool, let's give it a try. So they, they seek this sign from the unknown God. And Epimenides is like coordinating all this. And he goes, all right, what we're going to do is we're going to get a bunch of sheep and we're going to take all of these sheep up to the Areopagus, Mars Hill, where Paul is. And he says, what we're going to do, make sure the sheep are very hungry. And we're going to let them go. And any sheep that grazes along the grass, uh, which would make sense, they're, they're hungry, we're going to let them go. But any sheep that instead of grazing lies down, we're going we're to assume uh, that that is a sheep that pleases this unknown God. And we're going to sacrifice them there and build an altar to an unknown God. So they get it all set up, um, and then Epimenides prays some sort of prayer that history records, something like, oh, great unknown God, forgive our ignorance, intervene on our behalf. They pray, they release the sheep, most of them graze, but a few of them lie down. And at each place where they lie down, they would sacrifice the sheep and build an altar to an unknown God. Now history tells us that just about a couple days later, the plague began to subside. Um, and about a week later, it was completely gone. So from that point on, the people of Athens, they kept all of their gods. But the unknown God was like the God of gods, the God of the universe, the God that was above every other God that intervened on their behalf. And we fast forward 600 years to the exact same spot and the Apostle Paul shows up and says, hey, this unknown God, you've been worshiping him for 600 years. I think it's about time you know his name. Like, do you see the brilliance and the beauty of what Paul has just done in this moment? He does the same thing he always does. He uses a connection, common ground. But these people don't know scripture. So he doesn't use some story about Abraham. They don't know that story. He said he takes a story from their culture and uses it to get people to Jesus. He doesn't quote Moses. They don't know Moses. But who does he quote? You know, it says that, you ever heard that in that verse? It says, in him we live and move and have our being. He says, some of your own poets have said, do you know who Paul is quoting? Epimenides, the guy we just talked about. So he does the same thing that he always does, creates a connection for common ground and points people to Jesus. He doesn't try to, export, to, to import God into the culture. Instead, he pulls the God that's already there out of the culture. He, he establishes a connection and points people to Jesus. Now, what is, who cares? 
right? Like, like what does this have to do with us? <laughs> we don't live in Athens, right? Like, we don't live in a city uh, where a whole bunch of people don't know Jesus and have a bunch of idols and things that they're in their life that they've put ahead of God, right? Like, that's nothing like Denver. Sarcasm. <laughs> So here's what I want to do for the, for the few minutes that we have left is I want, to ze- I want to wrap around this entire story and see how it might influence us here in 2021 in Denver and, and God's call on us to, to share his gospel with people that don't know him. How does all of this have to do anything with us and our approach that we could take? And to talk about that, I first have to tell you about the placebo effect. Transition, you know what I mean? Like, the placebo effect is real. Did you like? For, I remember I was listening to a podcast one time, and they were talking about the placebo effect, and I'm like, this, this, this seems crazy. So I, like, I'm gonna do my own research on this. I didn't just go to Google. You can't go to Google. Like you can get anything from there. I wanted to see hard science, peer-reviewed, published articles. I went to PubMed. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it. <laughs> any scientists in here? Nobody. That was the weakest move of all time. If you're a scientist, you should be proud. Like, you put a lot of work in. So, it's a real thing. And in case you don't know what the placebo effect is, essentially what they do is if they're developing some sort of new drug or medicine, they split the people into two groups, you know, the control group and then the other one. And the people uh, in the control group, they give them a placebo. It's just a pill with, like, nothing in it. Like, you know, it's just neutral ingredients. But then they tell them what it's going to do for them. Like, you know, it's going to lower your cholesterol or whatever. And they take the pill... And even though it does nothing, their cholesterol, like, drop a little bit. Like, that, that's wild. That, to go a step further, they've connected the color of the pill to the amount of placebo that you experience. Um, here's my favorite one. Uh, they, they've, they've, they've associated the size of the pill with the amount of placebo that you experience. So if they give you, like, a hockey puck pill and tell you, like, this is going to change your life, and you're like, Like you experience more placebo effect. Wild. Placebo has a cousin named the nocebo effect. The nocebo effect is similar, but it has to do with side effects. So they give you the pill and they say like, hey, you know, you might be a little itchy if you take this. Even though there's nothing, it's not going to do anything. You take it and that night you'd be like, my neck is a little. I I swear something is off. And the reason I bring this up is even science is beginning to, to show us and to reveal to us that there is a massive connection between our assumptions and our perception. That, that our assumptions and our perception are inextricably tied together. That, they, that much of what we perceive in our life has to do with the assumptions that we had going into it. And I, I think about Paul, man, if I go into this city with all these idols around, like, my, my, my assumption would, would probably be, uh, this is crazy. God is clearly not in this place. These people have turned their back. They've constructed all kinds of idols. God has to be absent from this environment. But that's not what Paul did. He went in, and instead of assuming that God wasn't there, he was like, I know there must be 
And here's the point I, like, I wanted to share with you. If, I had, if, if you've been asleep, just wake up right here. Then you didn't miss anything. Um, <laughs> if you assume that God is absent, you will not perceive God's presence. If your core assumption walking into any space is that God is absent, then you may not see what God is doing right under your nose. If Paul assumed that God wasn't here, he might not have found a story that he could have used to point people to Jesus. If you assume that God is absent, you might miss what he's been doing for 600 years that was just waiting for someone to come along and use it as an opportunity to point people to Jesus. Um, and I just, I, I've been thinking about just a couple of questions that I, they've been speaking to me, so I just want to leave them with you. Um, the first question is, what would it look like if I assumed that God is present? How would my life change if my core assumption going into any situation was that God is not absent, but God is here? That person that you go to school with who, does, who, who wants nothing to do with Jesus, what if your assumption was like, nah, no, God, God, God is there. That, that group of friends who, who seems and acts like they don't want anything to do with God. What if your assumption was, no, 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 God's not absent. He, he's, in there some, he's in there somewhere, and he's working, and he's doing something in their life. Because, see, this is the God that we serve, y'all. God is on a passionate, relentless pursuit of people. He is the kind of God who leaves the 99 for the one. His arm is not short that he cannot save. He is chasing after all humanity. And what this reminds me of is there is no place I can go where God is not there. I can't beat God anywhere. That God was working in Athens way before Paul got there. Even people, even people that are like running from God. I love that phrase. And he's just running from the Lord, you know. Like... Where are you going to go? If we believe that God is in fact everywhere, filling all things with himself, where are you going to run to? David said in Psalm 23 that goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That means even if someone is running, goodness and mercy is like on them like this that there is nowhere we can go where God is not. Even if people are running from God, if they're like, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. I just worship the trees, man. I tell that person, like, Jesus is going to be like the Lorax and just pop up right out of that tree and be like, yo, I'm here. Like, there, what if, like, at our core operating files of our soul? could change in such a way where we believed that any room we walked into, God was there. That any person we were looking at, that God was working in their life. And look, they may not call it Jesus yet. It may have another name tag on it. It may have another label on it. But what if our assumption was like, nah, God is working in that person and he got there before I got there. The people in your life that, that, that need Jesus, God loves them more than you do. He's been working on them 
way before you started or worked up the courage to have a conversation. What if our assumption was God is, is here, God is present? What would our churches look like if we assume that God is working everywhere, even if it doesn't look like it? Second question I was thinking about was what if we prioritize connect, connection over correction? What if we prioritize connection over correction? As Christians, as Jesus followers, I know I can be guilty of this. Like, we're really quick to want to correct people that don't believe the right things and they have a different ideology. Like, like I, I, Paul could have easily walked in and been like, y'all know none of these gods are real. And just like, just, just corrected them. I, I grew up in a very like charismatic Pentecostal environment where they would hand out like, um, where they would hand out like those, remember those oils, the vials of oil? Like if it, like my instinct in this environment is to put oil on everything and just cast the devil out of everything. Jesus name, get out. Like, like, but does that ever work? Does that, does that ever work when we, when our gut instinct is to just correct everyone and tell them where they're wrong and why they, but listen, Paul, Paul was not a polytheist. He didn't believe in multiple gods, but instead of correcting them, he actually commended them. He found something to connect with them on. He said, you know what, like, I I walked around, I saw all your shrines, like, I can tell that y'all are really religious, that y'all are seeking after something. He, He quotes one of their own poets. It'd be like, what, like what would an evangelism strategy look like where we quoted, instead of quoting Moses, we quoted like Jay-Z to somebody. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's essentially what he did. Like, he just picked some secular poet and was like, hey, your own prophets have said this. And he uses anything he can to connect with the people. What if this was our priority? Was to connect with people, even if they don't call it Jesus, even if, like, even if the person's like, yo, you know, I just don't believe in God. I just believe in like a universal energy that animates the universe and binds all things together. You know, like, what if instead of being like, that's dumb, like that doesn't work, right? What if you said, like, no, like, I see, I see what God is doing there, and I'm gonna try to build a bridge and a connection anywhere that I can to point people to Jesus. If we're going to have this kind of approach, um, it may ask us us to be a little bit less intimidated. You know what I mean? Like we can't be so like afraid of different religions and different ways of believing. It may may cause us to to know what's happening in the culture. Some of us, like if we, we can just get so buried in scripture that we don't know anything that's happening. And what do you do when you encounter someone who doesn't believe the Bible? You're going to quote Romans to them? They're like, I don't believe that. So what, how are we going to reach people if we don't know what they're thinking about? If we don't know what they believe, we, it might take us stepping out a little bit and, and learning some backstories and using them as opportunities to connect people to Jesus. I love the, the way the story ends. After he goes on this whole rant and sermon to these people, it says some people were like, you're crazy. This is stupid. And then there was another group that was like, became believers, a few of them. But then there was this middle group. I love the middle group. They just said, we want to hear more about this later. And this just reminds me that, one, people are more curious than we give them credit for. 
in a culture where all the statistics would tell us people are running away and don't want anything to do with faith? No, 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 no. They, 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 they low-key want to know. Remember when Paul goes into the city and they say, like, hey, what's this babbler talking about? Man, this guy's crazy. And they're like, hey, tell us a little bit more real quick. Meet me up at the hill because we want to. Like, people are curious. And what this does is it kind of takes the pressure off because sometimes the win may not be conversion, but it's just continuation. That, that, that sometimes we want to, like, like Andrew said, to extend that invitation and just have them give their lives to Jesus right on the spot. And that happens sometimes. And we want them to like fill out a connection card and get plugged into our group. Like, right, like we want all that. We want to close the deal. But sometimes that's not going to happen. And what this scripture reminds us is that sometimes the win is not conversion, but just continuing a conversation and playing the long game, knowing that God is not going to give up on that person. And they just might want to hear a little bit more. And it just takes the pressure off of us to have to get it all right all the time. And we're going to get ready to close in just a second. If you guys just go ahead and stand to your feet. and If you've heard that passage of scripture, where it says that, if Jesus be lifted up, that he would draw most people to himself. Do y'all remember that one? No, no, no. He said, I'll draw all people to myself. And I have this image in my heart, man, of, of Jesus like standing and pulling people from every direction to himself. And all he asks us to do is just to partner with him in the pull. Like, you don't have to get them all the way there, but he's already been working on that person that you've been praying for. He loves that coworker more than you do. He loves that family member more than you do. He has been drawing them to himself, and all he needs is some people to just partner in the pool with him. And what would it look like if our assumptions changed to say, hey, there is nowhere that God is not. There's no person that God is not working in. And that God is here. Where? Yes. Wherever that is, that God is here and he is working. And that if we could just prioritize connecting with people and partnering in the pool, man, I believe that there is no limit to what God will do in your life, that there is no limit to what God will do in this church, that there is no limit to what God will do in this city. He's just looking for some people that believe he's present and that want to partner with him in his passionate pursuit for every single person on this planet. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are present. God, I thank you that there is no place that we can go to where you are not there. God, would you give us this change in our core files? Would you allow us to step into that reality of belief that, that you are present, that you are working in and on every person? God, would you give us the capacity to look more and more like Jesus? And God, we want to partner with you in your pursuit for all people. God, would you give us the uh, ability to step into this kind of living, into this way of thinking? And God, I just pray right now in this moment that anything I said tonight that was like my thoughts, my opinions, God, would you allow that to fall to the ground? It means nothing, but whatever is from you and your spirit and your word, will it stick deep in our hearts? And God, we are looking forward to what you're going to use us to do in this city. We're looking forward to what you're going to do in and through this community of believers, that this is going to be a place that partners in the pool for your pursuit of people. So God, we love you, we worship you, and we thank you for being allowing us to be a part of what you're doing in this city. And come on, if you have faith for that, if you believe that, can we put our hands together for Jesus right 
there. Hey, come on, y'all. We're going to continue to worship God for a few more moments.